The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. As always, I am Josh Norris here, joined by Patrick Darty, Denny Carter. Gentlemen, how are we? Everything good? Life is perfect? Only positive vibes? Yeah, for sure. I, I feel energized, you know, after some primetime television last night. <laughs> um, and I have the urge, you know, to yell over everything Pat says uh, during, during say, this podcast. Yeah, I'm going to cut you off there, Denny. Uh, I promised Josh 90 minutes of crosstalk for this podcast. So, uh. Yeah, luckily I have the ability to mute mics on this end. So that's something that maybe, you know, national networks and maybe. platforms when they're deciding the leader of this country should maybe invest in or think into. But here on StreamYard, when we're separated by thousands of miles, I have that capability. So <laughs> good for you, listeners yeah. out there. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. I also want to say out there might have noticed that this podcast did not happen last week. I know, Pat, this is not necessary, but I would just like to say that is that is on me. I think at times early in the season, we all get a little overwhelmed with schedules and don't plan it out necessarily as we should and accordingly. And that was me last week. I ran into a bit of a wall. And so I asked these guys to allow me to cancel last week's Wednesday slash Thursday, Thursday show. And they allowed me to do that. So gentlemen, I appreciate you doing that. I'm much more well rested this week than I was last week. Well, I will, I uh, will forgive you eventually. Uh, it's going to take a while. But, uh, it was as someone as someone who was scrambling uh, to get his work done that day. I <laughs> yeah. uh, I was not sad to get the cancellation email. I'm I'm constantly canceled online, so it, it, uh, it <laughs> it's something I'm used to. Well, on this week's show, I wanted to do something 
a little bit different. And if it goes well, and let us know out there if you think it does, we'll maybe continue on a theme like this throughout the season. How about we call it Make a Statement Wednesday, something like that, Pat? I know you're great with these titles, so we'll workshop it moving forward. Anyway, so the subject this week are 3-0 and teams and 0-3 teams. Each of us were assigned four or five, depending who got lucky and who did not. Um, and we're just going to go through and make a single statement about those teams so far. Why don't we start on the positive end of this, guys? And we'll start off with the 3-0 teams. And Pat, you're first, the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I mean, this the takeaway here is uh, it's the new look, Josh Allen, uh, a coaching staff that, you know, already was the, one of the most respected, probably top three or four most respected in the league when it came to scheming defense is now all of a sudden looking as creative when it comes to scheming offense. And I mean, making Josh Allen look like a player that I didn't think was possible. I mean, over 70% completion percentage, over nine yards per attempt. Like, even if I accepted the premise that Josh Allen was going to get better, like, I would have never thought he'd be a 70% passer. Uh, and you know, two of those games, of course, are the Jets and the Dolphins. But you know, that's just, that's a baseline he had, hadn't cleared before either. Is dominating bad teams consistently. That's something really good players do. Really good players, a lot of their best numbers will come against bad teams. It's not a knock against Josh Allen's hot start. And it was halfway to his passing touchdown total from last year, by the way, which is just nuts. So yeah, the takeaway from the Bills, a, a team that we know can scheme and coach defense is now doing it just as creatively on offense. I mean, look at Josh Allen's rushing usage in the red zone. Like, they're pulling out all the stops for a player who was in a make-or-break year. Like, this needed to happen. And, yeah, I would say his his make so far has probably exceeded even the wildest expectations, except for maybe Evan Silva and, you know, the Josh <laughs> Allen MVP train. Um, but, yeah, what, we'll see if this is sustainable. We finally got a bad Josh Allen half in the second half in mm-hmm. week three. But even then, after he he gets a, a call in his favor and then he converts it into a game-winning touchdown, and just do is just doing things we had never seen Josh Allen do before. It's funny because you, you you drafted Josh Allen with the idea that he gives you that really safe uh, weekly rushing floor, you know, especially you know in the red zone he likes to run it in from you know inside the ten inside the five, and you know so you draft him with that idea thinking. All right, you know, as a real quarterback, he probably stinks and he's not going to complete a lot of passes and and he's really inaccurate downfield, especially. And then this happens and you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, I I, I guess I have something because I get the rushing and I get this unbelievable passing production. So it was the, the process was, you know, had a totally different mindset than what ended up happening here. Yeah, and Steve Palazzolo pointed this out, and it's something we talked about after week one. The Bills have used four wide receiver sets 50 times this year. The rest of the NFL combined has used it 92 times. So that in itself is a crazy statistic for Brian Dayball. But to me, it's even more heightened by the fact that they only used that 10 personnel four times in all of 2019. Now, with John Brown hurt, I doubt we see them force four wide receivers on the field. But Pat, what that's showing me is that Brian Dayball, along with Josh Allen, I just hopefully they get equal praise because this is someone who we've seen a lot of other play callers for a lot of other NFL teams would get frustrated by his quarterback mistakes, right? They, they want them just to be perfect. They want them to be robots to carry out exactly what the game plan is. But it just seems that Dayball is allowing Allen to do what he does, the roller coaster that is out there, not asking him to throw downfield as much, you know, a lower a dot a little bit, but also just like working in the ability to make mistakes and then just working around it and and solving those problems along the way. I think it helps to have an offensive line and a great defense and Sean McDermott, who's very steady, but 
I don't think I don't see how you couldn't be extremely excited for what this team has shown through three games. Yeah, absolutely. And you said you mentioned John Browning hurt. There's an impressive rookie then in Gabriel Davis, who's already yep. getting on the field in four receiver sets, but maybe we won't get as many four receiver sets when John Brown's hurt, but those snaps could go to Gabriel Davis, who has been an uh, extremely impressive rookie receiver. Next three in our team, Denny Carter, the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm loving that we don't have to guess about the backfield in Kansas City. Yes. Uh, it it, it kind of seemed like it might be shaping up. Well, before Damian Williams opted out, obviously, it, it, it certainly shaped up as a situation where, you know, you weren't sure if you could go in on CEH, uh, where, you know, where he was going before that opt out. Uh, my, you know, myself, the way I was drafting my teams, Damian Williams looked awfully appealing. Uh, what a surprise. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, it wor- and it worked out for all my best ball teams that have Damian Williams right now. And it worked out. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, and, and, and even at, but even after, you know, uh, Damian Williams opted out there, there was the mentor, you know, uh, uh, Daryl Williams, uh, kind of lurking there a, a little bit. You, you heard some rumbling from beat reporters about, uh, you know, Williams possibly getting some early down work alongside, uh, the rookie. Uh, it hasn't been that it has been CEH, um, all the time. And, uh, that's, I, you know, for fantasy, that makes it way, way easier on us, you know, especially uh, for those who went went in on a, with a first round pick on CEH. The one thing I don't love about the Chiefs hmm. is the way that Monday night uh, announcers pronounce Clyde Edwards E Lair. <laughs> that's that's the one thing. Apparently, that's it. I went back and watched an SEC video, and that's how he pronounces it. So I guess I need to change my pronunciation. So it's do a that. silent H. It is. It is. Oh apparently, I know. We'll work on it. We've got 13 weeks to figure it out, Pat. And I want to actually rewind here, Pat, a little bit because, you know, all of us picked this game on the preview show, which, again, you can check out tomorrow on this very same feed. We go game by game. And all of us picked the Baltimore Ravens. And thinking back on that, Pat, it's dumb. Obviously, what happened on Monday. But it was dumb ahead of time because I think part of the reason we did that, we cited how great the Ravens had been so far this year in the regular season and how great they were last year in the regular season. When not necessarily factoring in the Chiefs, were without their quarterback for what one or two games, and then how he still wasn't 100 because he had a freaking dislocated kneecap. That's the reason why this team just hasn't been the best team in the NFL, most likely for a year plus now, almost two seasons. And it's because their quarterback was somehow magically back to winning Super Bowl levels, 21 points in a single quarter, despite again dislocating his kneecap in that same season. And then last night or this week, we saw. What he and Andy Reid can just do, Pat, is just complete magic. And there's no better tandem in the NFL than those two. Someone who can create on like a a, a napkin whenever he wants to, just an insane play like that one to Anthony Sherman, and then a quarterback who can just make it look so easy. The picks were extra dumb on the show because I actually ended up picking (laughs) the Chiefs in my confidence points pool. I put three on the Chiefs, so... I don't know. I mean, I think the thought process there was the Chiefs defense looked pretty ragged the first two games. The offense had been kind of out of sync until the second half of the Chargers game. But yeah, I mean, we got finally back to like Death Star mode for the Chiefs. Death Star mode was there a little bit in the playoffs last year, but wasn't even like fully there in the playoffs. It's not like they were like that in the Super Bowl. So this this Chiefs offense hadn't been hitting on seemed like on all cylinders in a while and we got that like just a path of destruction against the Ravens. And the one thing I will say, so we're talking about CEH and like there is no guesswork, but it, I mean, CEH so far is actually, you know, kind of creating questions on early downs where he has been struggling at the goal line. He failed another goal line carry Monday night, very tough run defense, but 
you know, the Chiefs did anything they wanted against the Ravens except for run the ball effectively, mm-hmm. where he averaged about three yards per carry. Um, so that is just something to what, but CH, I mean, I cheated Monday night, tweeted Monday night, like the Chiefs getting CH, that's just not fair because not. a guy with his pass catching ability and this off, like you just saw how unfair it was Monday night where to have him to dump the ball off to for Patrick Mahomes, it's just not fair. All right. Next up, continuing on with these three, and know, teams again, making a single statement for each and maybe a little bit more, uh, the Tennessee Titans. So the Tennessee Titans are three, and they've played the Denver Broncos, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Minnesota Vikings, three teams that I would say are among the bottom 10, if not the bottom five in the NFL. And they only have a plus six point differential so far in those three games. I mean, that is incredible, especially when you compare it to the Miami Dolphins, who I don't think any of us would say are good, but they have a plus five point differential. Now, I I wondered how this could be. Like, should we be nervous about the Titans and only winning three combined games by six points. And I still think the answer is no, because I don't think they care about that. I think this is exactly who the Titans are. Like they kind of, the style of their play is drastically different than the Chiefs, where they play, the Titans do, down to their opponents and up to their opponents. Again, we talked about the formula and bringing everyone back. Well, it's working. It's working again this year, and I don't think anything is going to change it. And losing, you know, their number one wide receiver in AJ Brown hasn't changed it so far. And, you know, Derek Henry not scoring a touchdown until week three hasn't changed it so far, despite him, you know, being the leader in touches through three weeks of the NFL season. What worked last year is working again this year. It's just never going to be easy for viewers and fans of the Titans. So say I hope COVID-19 doesn't change it. Uh, hopefully they get to play this week. Uh, that would yeah. be great. Uh, I will say, I mean, yeah, I mean, very unimp- it's not three and O is always impressive, but like you said, soft schedule and they're barely three and O. And I would say things haven't gone quite according to plan for them. They've already had two games. Ryan Tannehill's attempted, I think over 35 passes. That is not something they want. Um, and the, but I think it's kind of, they, I think they'll have some positive regression where it's not just touchdowns, but Derrick Henry hasn't had like a truly big rushing game yet. Like hasn't hit any big runs so far. I mean, not having, you know, they want to be yards after the catch receiving and, you know, they're missing AJ Brown. So I mean, good teams find a way to like weather these stretches. And even if it's unimpressive, I mean, the fact that they're three and O is like a testament to like a, a winning team, which is a real thing, by the way, uh, winning team, winning players. Uh, I think, I mean, I actually think Pat, there are winning organizations. I know, but there are kind of our winning organizations, you know, ones who have an identity, ones who don't just go up and down depending on the latest week. And I think the John Robinson, Mike Vrabel dynamic has generated and created a winning organization in the Titans, didn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, they're fine winning ugly. It seems yes. like, you know, they, they, they seem perfectly happy with just grinding it out, um, you know, not doing anything particularly great. Uh, although, you know, they're, Tannehill had that run last season that was unbelievable, um, unbelievably efficient uh, that maybe can never be explained by historians in a hundred years, but um, <laughs> like, you know, we, uh, but yeah, I mean, Pat's right about that. We, we have not seen uh, that, that sort of Derek Henry, that vintage uh, mm-hmm. Derek Henry, where, um, you know, he's busting off 40, 50 yard runs uh, with, with tacklers, you know, in his wake, uh, you know, we're just not seeing that he's still seeing tons of volume like we saw last week, which is a day saver often for for running backs, especially running backs of his caliber. Um, so fantasy wise, you know, he's obviously going to be fine. He's he's doing he, he's doing well there. 
as soon as as soon as I think that that run game clicks, um, you did, I think that the wins will get a little less ugly if if uh, if that makes sense. And yeah, once AJ Brown comes back too, they're just yeah, it's probably should have been the lead that they're still doing right. this without like someone who's one of their absolute most important players. Next up for the Titans, the Steelers and the Bills. So there's certainly be more tested than they have been by really good teams so far. And I also want to throw out that I think Johnny Smith is, and I know the tight end position isn't great, but I think he's evolving into the, one of the better tight ends of the NFL right now. And, and just being more involved on a game to game basis, which is just so much fun to watch. All right, Pat Seattle Seahawks. Before we go to Seattle, John o. Smith is leading tight ends in standard leagues and fantasy points per game, wow. by the way. Pretty crazy stat. I mean, he he was one of the players that I nominated that you must draft heading into the season, Pat. So listeners of that podcast allowed to get him at, I think, like tight end 14 or tight end 15 entering the season. Yeah, his, he was a value all summer. The yep. Seattle Seahawks, I mean, the stew they've got cooking. I mean, this is there's no other takeaway. I mean – to, there was it's just weird it was, it's great we were just that right the internet was that right yeah. that literally all you had to do was like just let him throw the ball just let him cook like we swear to god this will work and now he's on pace for 75 touchdowns through three games which is actually not a joke uh he is actually on pace for 75 touchdowns russell wilson not sure he'll keep up at that pace but that is the takeaway is the seattle seahawks taking the fight to the other team, making the other team play from behind. So playing like they're from behind, even when they're ahead, but, you know, discovering this amazing thing that in the NFL, that when the other team has to play from behind, uh, that gives you an advantage. They're the ones making mistakes. They're the one in frantic comeback mode. And yeah, you can relax a little more. And I think a huge takeaway too, is that even if Pete Carroll gets cold feet and like wants to dial this back, uh, the defense is so bad that they're, they're not going to have any choice. Like, this is who the Seahawks are going to be on offense all season, even if Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer wanted to make an adjustment and start running the ball more because the defensive personnel is just not going to allow it. So, I mean, it's three games. We know it's too early to say MVP. I mean, Russell Wilson, if he plays even 75 80% this well the rest of the season, will be the MVP. And, yeah, just so refreshing to see this approach. Something we knew was possible and are being immediately proven right that it was possible. Yeah, I'm just glad that they unplugged Schottenheimer's headset, you know, and and now he he can't he can't call a run on second and twelve. Uh, uh, but yeah, I think the the one thing that we have to remember about you know will this last? You know, will this continue? Is the Seattle defense is garbage? I mean, they're really bad. That secondary is terrible. Um, so you know they're they're going to have to keep their foot on the gas in in most games. You know, this week against the Dolphins, I mean, you, you, we talked about this on, on Living the Stream the other day. You know that the, the touchdown rate is going to come down a little bit for, for Russell Wilson. But how can you think that that's going to happen against Miami this week? Like, uh, I, I don't. You know, I think that he's in for another big week. Uh, and, you know, another great thing about the Seahawks offense is the targets are so concentrated um, in, um, uh, among you know the receivers with with Lockett and and Metcalf, so it's it's not like a huge guessing game every week as to who's going to run the routes and who's going to get the targets. We we know. So big picture question because I think the defense comment is important because now starting three and zero and in the fashion that the Seahawks are doing it, is it fair to wonder if this team is built the right way to go to the very end? You know, to win the Super Bowl because I think Pat, you can already kind of have that conversation already, and. Looking at DVOA, you know, last year, the Chiefs for almost the entire season 
were like bottom two or three in run defense DVOA all season long. But I think there's a very big difference in being bad versus the run versus bad for the pass. And in just like the isolated individual playmakers that both of those teams have, right? Because the Chiefs, Chris Jones can make plays. Tyron Matthew can make plays. You know, Juan Thornhill got hurt, but he could make plays. Frank Clark, I can keep going down the list. The Seahawks have Jamal Adams, who is great near the line of scrimmage. But outside of that, you know, Shaquille Griffin hasn't found his form at cornerback. Their number one snap getter and the edge is Benson Mayowa, who I'm not going to ask you guys anything about your thoughts on him. I don't know but I, and, and, you know, they've invested a lot in linebacker. And I think Puna Ford is, is a great interior player. But what I'm trying to say is they just don't have the same individual pieces that you can count on to make those individual plays when the other team is trying to catch up. And I think that's where like the chiefs defense separates itself from the Seahawks defense. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the nail on the head. If you're going to pick something to be bad against on defense, you pick the run in the year 2020 and the chiefs still aren't good against the run. I mean, they kind of were in week three against the dazed Ravens team, but so whereas the chiefs were easy to run on last year, they had an underrated pass defense, like the final two thirds of the season. And the Seahawks just don't have the personnel. Like you said, they're undermanned in the secondary. They have no pass rush. And I do sadly think it probably will prevent them from being a real contender. Now, the NFC is kind of set up where, I mean, they're in a, such a tough division, but the NFC is a little more wide open. But like I, the Super Bowl, I mean, even, even against the Ravens, after the beating we just saw, I don't think the Seahawks right now can compete with the Chiefs or can compete with the Ravens. And something Pete Carroll is a defensive coach, and he usually – figures things out on defense the past few years. He's kind of had where the hole is greater than the sum of his parts, his parts on defense, but that is looking like it's going to be very tough to achieve this year. I I mentioned that the Titans have a plus six point differential in our three and O after three games, every single team in the NFC West has a positive point differential. And the lowest is the Arizona Cardinals at plus 16. I mean, the 49ers are two and one there plus 41. I mean, that is wild to see even this early in the season that that, division is just so stacked offensively and I've shown it through three games already. All right, Denny. Yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. So I'm not loving Deontay Johnson being out and with that uh, concussion, that's uh, that's, that's very concerning, especially just from a, a strictly fantasy standpoint. He, he definitely was emerging as the number one option for Ben Roethlisberger in that offense. Uh, but I do think that Eric Ebron's emergence over the past couple weeks, specifically last week, uh, is, you know, good. I mean, good for, you know, a, an otherwise terrible fantasy position in, uh, in, in tight end. It gives us another option. I think he ran 31 routes, talking about Ebron, uh, ran 31 routes last week. Uh, that's more than the 23 he ran in week one, which is, was a little concerning um, you know, last week against Houston, we saw Ebron get 20% of the team's targets. He turned that into five catches and a, and a touchdown, 50-some yards against the Texans. So uh, I I think, you know, he, his his usage is increasing. You know, he still dropped one last week, and I had to hear about that in my mentions uh, after touting him. But, you know, I, I think that uh, he will continue to see, you know, a slight uptick in, in usage, especially, I think, if Deontay Johnson is out for a little bit. This is a team who last year, their offense was absolutely horrific. Defense, top two unit in the NFL. Now, with Ben Brothersberger back, and I actually think Ben's gotten better each week that he's played so far this this season. Um, But the defense still has some loose ends. And I don't know, Pat, if that's just 
from a lack of preseason, what this offseason was, or if it's what we always rely on, that, you know, it's so difficult to have incredible defenses year over year over year. But it's not the entirety of the defense. It's, you know, the pass rushers are great. TJ Watt is playing maybe like the best defense player in the league so far. Tyson Alualu is having an incredible run. Bud Dupree as well. You still have Cameron Hayward and all this kind of stuff. Anyways, it's the secondary. The secondary is, is the issue. And again, Pat, I go back to maybe they can fix that, work on that as they go along and, and try to replicate that group that they had last year. And if they do, I'll again say it, I, I think this is one of the more complete teams in the NFL. Yeah, and it could be just something, too, that they're already having to play in more open games this year. Like Teams weren't playing uh, from behind against the Steelers last year. So True. So conservative offensive approaches against them, whereas this year some of the aggression will just be due to the fact that teams are going to have to throw like way more on the Pittsburgh Steelers than they did last year. Uh, so they have the talent, they have the coaching acumen. Uh, so that will be something that kind of evens itself out uh, for the Steelers as the season goes along. Have And having that ace in your sleeve, Denny, of Chase Claypool, who can just create mm-hmm. like one play magic, it seems like each and every week, like there's literally is one play where he does something that no one else on that Steelers King team can do. And maybe that increases as it goes along. But again, just in those individual make or break, win or go home scenarios, having a player like Chase Claypool as a rookie could make and like could be that added defense, uh, added addition on offense. Right. It reminds me a little bit of like very early career Martavis Bryant and how they would it. just they would just send him they just say run past everybody and he would and and Roethlisberger would just chuck it up and uh, you know Claypool comes down with those like we saw against uh, against Denver in particular I, I believe he only saw one or two targets and one of them was an eighty yard touchdown uh, so yeah you're right yeah, that that does definitely add an element that um, I think they've been missing probably since. Uh, Martavis was a thing. Yeah. And he's, he's a wide receiver in a tight ends body. I mean, he's one of those kind of like yeah. freak athletes, like right off yep. the bat in the NFL. Continuing with the three and O's I'll go with the green Bay Packers. What a team. I mean, they've been so much fun to watch from week one to week two to week three. I said this on the preview show, but I'll say it again. Cause it became even more true this past weekend. The Packers have already shown that they can win in every single way possible. You know, week one, it was through Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. Devontae had 14 catches, 156 yards, and two touchdowns. In week two, it was the Aaron Jones show, 168 yards, two touchdowns. Then in week three, without Devontae Adams, it was three touchdowns from Aaron Rodgers. And half of those passing yards going to, you know, undrafted free agent Alan Lazard. Sure. I mean, and and so I, I ask how, right? How can this be working this year when we had questions of it working last year and really the year before with Aaron Rodgers, and without really adding any new pieces this offseason and instead looking towards the future. A major part of it is the offensive line play. I mean, four, five, six positive grades along this offensive line so far. And at the same time, Aaron Rodgers is putting less pressure on them. He's getting rid of the football much earlier. And I guess, Pat, that comes down to comfort in this offense i mean there probably is something to being in the same system you know for more than just an off season like he was heading into last year now he's had over a year to do it whatever it is it's working and i just don't see signs of it slowing down because we already had last week an example of it possibly slowing down without Devonte adams and they still looked unbelievable against their best competition of the season in the new orleans saints 
I mean, it's comfort in the system and comfort in you know, everyone, including Aaron Rodgers, made it very clear he wanted some upgrades in the receiver core and he didn't get them. But I mean, if you're as good as Aaron Rodgers, it might take two or three years, but you can get used to even Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And maybe that's just uh, what's happening here. And he's, uh, we devoted all of our Packers regression talk you know, to Aaron Jones over the summer, whereas there was also a lot of talk just from the team in general, Matt LaFleur in general, because we didn't really understand how this team went 13 and three last year. They didn't have a, the point differential of a 13 and three team. They won ugly so much. And but he's, Aaron Rodgers isn't getting touched. Like that's yeah. kind of the main thing for the first three games. So he's not getting sacked. He's not having a self sack as much since Alan Lazard and Marcos Valdez scaling are finally making a few plays. And that was a huge thing with Aaron Rodgers last year. Constant tweets about the throwaways and kind of like the self sacking has not had to do that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just overall com- comfort in the system, I'm sure, is part. Of it. The system seems a little more opened up this year. I mean, m- maybe Jordan Love forced Aaron Rodgers and Matt Lafleur to come to some sort of understanding because Aaron Rodgers certainly seems like he's having more fun in the system and maybe doing a little more play action, which we kind of expected. Like, I don't know what the rates are on that, but I feel like we're seeing more play action on the Packers this year than we did last year. And just yeah, the accommodation between Matt Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers just looks much more comfortable on both sides this season. New York Times had a, uh, a really good piece today about uh, Rodgers so far this season and how he looks like a totally different quarterback out there, both in the way he plays and the way he, you know, communicates with coaches and, and, and players. You know, he's not, he's not late career Dan Marino anymore, screaming at every, at every receiver who doesn't run a perfect route on every play, you know, uh, like he has been in, in recent seasons. Um, he seems to be a lot less miserable. And honestly, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> kind of like Rogers to just do this out of spite. Be like, oh yeah, like you drafted my my backup instead of a wide receiver. I'm gonna win a Super Bowl. How about that? He's gonna uh, passive aggressively yeah. win an MVP. That's right. Uh, that's right. <laughs> I, I actually could see that happening. Uh it seems like he's taking the the easier throws. Uh you know, a- instead of the the hero ball scrambling around. I mean stuff that he really was great at at, at 27, 28 years old. He's now not 27 or 20. I think he's, I think he's 35, right? 36. 36, he's, yeah. He might so, be 37. He's, I think he was born in 83. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's old. 40, he's 48. And, uh, <laughs> but he's, you know, but he's taking those easy throws and, and not, not so many throws out of bounds and then a temper tantrum on the sidelines. Uh, it just looks way, way more comfortable. I was expecting uh, a really worst case scenario against New Orleans. And, it might, it might be because he's just being protected so well, more, you know, better than any other passer through, uh, through three weeks uh, that he, you know, he just seems, uh, I don't know, more free in that, in that system. Yeah. And it's really paying off. This was not on purpose, but Pat close us out with these three and O teams with the Chicago bears. So the takeaway for the Bears, again, is like, so we know you mentioned it just earlier in the podcast, the Steelers, how hard it is for defensive performance to carry over year after year. And the Bears were historically good in 2018. And then they regressed in 2019, but they didn't regress that much. And this year, I mean, they're, they're still not 2018 form, a, a defense that, again, is not really regressing. They came out of a really tough three-game stretch to begin the season with only allowing two passing touchdowns total. I think they're allowing 6.5 yards per attempt, and that has given them the rare luxury of having a quarterback crisis when they're three and zero. Uh, and <laughs> so, usually, you know, the quarterback crisis is when you're zero and three, not when you're three and zero. And that is where the true crisis for this team is, because 
I said multiple times in the summer, the Bears were one of the teams in the NFL that could least afford any skill player injuries because they just have no depth whatsoever. And now they've already lost Tariq Cohen, who was off to a, a poor start and being utilized very strangely. But they've already lost one of their most important skill players for the season. And Nick Foles will be an upgrade. But yeah, this is a offense, an, an offense with just no depth at receiver, no depth at running back, uh, way too much depth at tight end, I guess. Uh, so maybe <laughs> they'll become like a three or four tight end offense. But uh, that's the big concern. So they're they're still not regressing on defense, but. This that they need they can't have any more injuries in offense and they're going to need like a career year from Nick Foles. You assigned this game to me, Pat, this past weekend against the Falcons. I think most people in the football world, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, thought that Nick Foles would have this starting job out of, of quote unquote training camp, right? And then when he didn't, I, I didn't know when the time was going to be, like maybe their bye week or when they would make the transition. It was kind of shocking that just in the middle of this game, Mitch Trubisky had such a short leash after people thought that, oh, he's put together some of the best performances of his career in those first two weeks. And then one mistake, and he was not playing well against the Falcons. But, you know, a couple of mistakes, and boom, Matt Nagy's like, no, Nick, you're in. And then we always talk about quarterbacks and offenses that can score, you know, 21 points in a single quarter. The freaking Chicago Bears did that in the fourth quarter. In this game. For the second it, time this year. <laughs> I know. And, and it instantly, it instantly looked like they had a quarterback who was more comfortable, more composed, like knew what he was looking at. And that's the difference. Like the Falcons just sat back and it seemed like played a lot of zone and Mitch just looked confused. And Nick Foles, Denny, certainly had some moments that we've seen where he just gets lucky, you know, yeah. passes going through defensive backs hands and Rather than going for interceptions, they you know help on scoring drives, and for some reason it happens to him more than any other player. But I think he will bring more stability to this offense and to this team. And while we don't expect them to stay you know undefeated for for very long, speak for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> it, it they they are a better team with him in the fold, and they already have three wins kind of as a cushion. So for sure, I, I think that you know if he's able to provide that stability that you're talking about, uh, it could mean great things, obviously, for Allen Robinson, uh, who was out there favoriting Hayden Wink's tweet about, <laughs> about how bad Trubisky <laughs> has been. It's an amazing thing. I think about that, that like once a day. Truly amazing 2020 fact. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, so it, it, it would be obviously good for, for Robinson. I think it also could be really good for David Montgomery. And, and not that Montgomery is going to become like a Tariq Cohen pass-catching type back, but with Cohen out, and the Bears possibly, you know, being, like you said, more stable, having more game script on their side, neutral and positive game script, allowing them uh, to have a balanced offense, which they obviously could not afford to do against Atlanta in, in comeback mode. Uh, I think, you know, the opportunity could, could increase quite a bit for Montgomery going forward. Just for fun, here are the Bears' next six games. Uh, the Colts, the Buccaneers, the Panthers, the Rams, the Saints, and the Titans. Not easy. Just Definitely not easy. Uh, but I, I think where everyone else is being so skeptical of the Bears, I want to applaud you too, because I think we were just very optimistic about the Bears in that conversation. Good sure. job. All right. <laughs> Speaking of optimism, let's move on over to the 0 3 teams. Denny Carter, you're up first. The yeah. New York Giants. Mm, God, thanks for giving me the Giants, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the entire team is just kind of thanks. I hate it situation. You know, uh, the, uh, there are defensive starters on the giants, 
who wouldn't be on an active another active roster in the league and that that's not according to my expert film watching that is according to <laughs> uh, at least two giants beat writers uh who that i've read recently where they're 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 appalled that uh, uh at some of the starters on on this defense particularly in the front seven so you know that that is going to mean that the offense is never going to be in a great position um they're going to be constantly scrambling you know through three games daniel jones is from a fantasy standpoint has negative 22 expected fantasy points over expectation okay so i guess you could say 22 points under expectation that's uh, unbelievable russell wilson by the way has 53 points <laughs> over expectation uh which is also equally amazing uh, you know, and I, I thought, you know, after week one against the Steelers, I thought maybe we might get something with Darius Slayton, maybe, um, you know, something of a, of a target hog type role, a guy who could emerge as, as the number one and, and get you know a good amount of opportunity week in and week out. That, that, that that's not happened. You know, even with Sterling Shepard out last week, he split. I think him and Golden Tate had the same number. Of of targets, and I know Pat loves that uh, particularly. <laughs> uh, but you know, Slay- yeah. So so we don't we don't get Slayton. We the backfield is completely useless. Uh, uh, Jones is so, has, so far has been really really bad, and the the defense um, is an abomination. I, I I I mean, I would be shocked if they win two games this year. Wow, Denny, That's tell mistake. us tell us how you really feel about the New York Giants. <laughs> But New York, New York football is in a, in a good place. Yeah, it's just never been healthier. And you hit on a really important point there with Daniel Jones. Was last year, at least in fantasy, he kind of had everything go yeah. right. And it was like Mr. Spiked Week. And this year, nothing is going right. And he's not overcoming his bad circumstances where, I mean, this how could this team be this injured again? But it's just, yeah, this it's bleak for Daniel Jones. And yeah, he, he hasn't produced above expectation, like, and it has felt like that. Like, that was, like, not a surprising uh, stat when you said, like, he's 22 points under expectation because this has just been – as bleak as it's been on defense, I feel like it's just been maybe even more bleak on yeah. offense. Yeah, through three games, they have 38 points on offense. Yikes. I mean, that's, that's atrocious. And then next up is the Rams and then the Cowboys. I don't know. Like, with Saquon Barkley going down, I can't tell you how often I just think – about Dave Gettleman doing this, like the, just the image, <laughs> because in some ways, this is the team he wanted to build, you know, like he got the quarterback that he knew after one drop back at the senior bowl, that God. was going to be a franchise quarterback. <laughs> he knew that Saquon Barkley was just a generational talent. He has invested in this offensive line with Andrew Thomas at left tackle, trading for Kevin Zeichler, getting Will Hernandez. I keep going on and on. I'm sure. Nate Solder um, opted out, but, like in many ways, this is the team he wanted to build. And then this is what we see from it. Now, some of that is due to injuries, but guess what? Every team deals with injuries, you know, not necessarily to franchise players like Saquon, but when you're going to rely on your running back to be the identity of your team and one who is known for reeling off 50 to 70 yard runs to save his day in terms of his production. That's just not a formula that I I can get behind. And I totally agree with both of you this year. One for Joe judge and Jason Garrett is not going to go well, because I don't see how they crawl out of this moving forward, because this is just who they are right now. Maybe if, uh, you know, if they get the number one overall draft pick, they can take another running back and just be, (laughs) you know, be set for, for a while. It's, it is it is funny, and we'll get to this in a second. 
it is funny with these teams that like have their quote unquote quarterback that they're already among the worst in the NFL and like what decisions they might make with three or four Mm -hmm. potential first round quarterbacks coming out and the decisions that might have to happen, just an underlying story path that's going to, you know, creep up more and more as we continue on through this season. Yeah. I mean, like is Sam Darnold or Daniel Jones, are they going to get Josh Rosen? Like it's a very real possibility Mm -hmm. in both places. We'll go to Houston Texans, which I actually think is the better Owen three teams we've seen in recent memory. And I know that I've given Bill O'Brien a lot of shtick, and I think a lot of it is deserved in the past. And, you know, Tim Kelly isn't quite what we were hoping for in terms of the ease of the offense and setting up Deshaun Watson for success. But in many cases, and I know there was one down performance there for Deshaun, he's still going to compete no matter what. Like, he's never going to quit. There there was an occasion in this past week against the Steelers where they were actually ahead and there was, you just looked to us for confirmation. It did happen. Houston Texans <laughs> led a football I saw game. It. They <laughs> were, I think they were up like 14 to three early in the first half. Anyways, they were only down 28 to 21 with six minutes left. And there was like, there was an occasion where, where, where they absolutely had the possibility of getting back in this football game. But then just little things went wrong, right? And it's because it, it shows that this team just isn't ready to probably even be a 500 team this year where they got down all the way to like a, a third and 26 scenario. And once you're in there, you just – you, you, you can't crawl out of it. And then on defense, they just have no one other than J.J. Watt who, who can make plays. This team does have the Vikings and the Jaguars next. And I think the other part of it, Pat, is they've started with the Chiefs, Ravens, and Steelers. And you could not ask for a worse starting three games than what the Texans have faced so far. No, it's true. That is the number one takeaway so far for the Texans is who made this schedule. And like any good team – like any true playoff team will go through that kind of three game gauntlet and get at least one victory, even if it's that tough. Like you don't usually go on three, like if you're a true playoff team, but I mean, truly how could the schedule have been more difficult uh, to begin? The, and, and for a team that was breaking in a new offensive coordinator, breaking breaking a new talent at running back and receiver, you know, so many new skill pieces. Then to have to start out with the chiefs, Ravens and Steelers, they were set up to fail and they did fail. Um, so now they're set up to succeed the next two games. Both of the next two games are must wins. This season's going to have any playoff hope whatsoever for the Houston Texans. Uh, but yeah, set up to fail. And then they did. Um, but you know, that you gotta, you gotta get over that. You, the, you can't blame the season on the schedule. Yeah. You, you would, you would think, I mean, they, they had everything going for them against the Steelers at, at one point and um, just kind of slowly it seemed like slowly collapsed um, in, in that game. I, I don't know if they have the, the offensive firepower that we, that we kind of usually equate with them. And hmm. it may have something to do with losing Deandre Hopkins. I don't know. I don't know. We're, 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 we're looking into it. <laughs> you know, I, I began that conversation asking if this is one of the better O and three teams that we've ever seen, but then I should remove myself from that and say that there are only two teams with the worst point differential in the NFL and they're the jets and the giants. So really how good can this, and again, the opponents matter, but that is a telling statistic so far, I think. All right, Pat, on to you. Your Minnesota Vikings. I mean, the the hope here for the Vikings is that they do have the brain power to turn this around. I mean, Mike Zimmer almost always handles his side of the ball. Gary Kubiak is one of the best offensive coaches of the 21st century. But, I mean, the personnel is obviously questionable on offense now behind Adam Thielen, but – it's really questionable on defense, like injuries and free agent losses have t- taken a huge toll. And 
But yeah, this is going to start with offensive philosophy if there's going to be any sort of turnaround because Gary Kubiak, you know, is a legendary run coach. I mean, Gary Kubiak was, wasn't exactly like, a, you know, like a, in the passing game, he wasn't like a shrinking violet. Like he, he almost made Matt Schaub out of whole cloth. Like Gary Kubiak <laughs> can have very successful passing offenses and be a very successful creative passing game coach. And they're going to have to unleash this offense. And we saw that last week. I mean, you can't go – it doesn't matter – if your running back is Dalvin Cook and he's running for 180 yards, like you're not going to have a successful NFL offense if you have one target in the passing game. So the bare minimum they needed to do was to get a second target established. And 175 yards, I say, uh, would do that for Justin Jefferson. He is now officially a part of this offense. But Mike Zimmer is going to have to basically – he's not going to have to meddle in the – he's going to have to give Gary Kubiak complete control of this offense and trust Gary Kubiak – to get this offense out of this rut because Gary Kubiak has the brain power and it's not the personnel isn't like elite elite, but I mean, it's better offensive personnel than a lot of teams have. And yeah, so this is going to have to be the best coaching job, basically both Mike Zimmer and Gary Kubiak's life uh, to turn the Vikings into a playoff team again. But I mean, Mike Zimmer going into week three after that, you know, horrific week two outing, uh, is talking about was it was talking about establishing the run and like we need that might have run. actually been Kubiak who said that well, was which, it Kubiak yeah which uh, oh. which I was like I don't know but, Gary but, uh, but confusing <laughs> the two I don't blame you that's either even way worse. it was bad that's even worse it is it's actually much worse yeah uh, so I, I actually uh, was reading the other day the Athletics uh, John uh, Krasinski I hope I'm saying that right uh, Krasinski you know, John Krasinski. Okay. I'm just joking. Sorry. Oh, oh, you uh, mean, oh, Jim, no, you're talking joking. about Jim. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Jim from the office said no, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> this report in the athletic, it, it, you know, urged the team to open it up and, and to forget about, you know, previous years where they were a ball control, tough defense and a disciplined game, ready to uh, a team ready to win games, um, you know, with, with Jefferson, with Thielen, uh, with Cousins, who, I mean, really, I know he's been really, really bad at times this year, um, but, you know, can be kind of a fun quarterback in a pass-heavy scheme. Uh, you know, they, they, it was really convincing to me, of course, because I'm an apologist for the pass at all times. Uh, but I I hope that, that that does happen. And it's really the only way uh, that they are going to put up some points and, and compensate uh, for an injured, inexperienced defense uh, that's not stopping anybody. I would say that my fears for the Minnesota Vikings came true already, Pat. And that's terrifying, speaking of fears, yes. <laughs> because, you know, they didn't have, at least through the first two weeks, a plan to replace Stefan Diggs. And I was really impressed with Justin Jefferson last week, went back and watched all of his targets, and he won every level of the field. And it's something he didn't really do at LSU. But I think the problem's go past that. And it really goes down to Gary Kubiak. I mean, Kevin Stefanski, why this offense works so well with him, one, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen were there. But two, he understood where Kirk Cousins won, and it was off of play action. I mean, he had the sixth highest play action rate in 2019. I'm looking right now. Kirk Cousins is at the 27th highest rate in the NFL in, in 2020. Like, how did Gary Kubiak, who worked for the team last year, not just try to replicate the exact same thing that worked last year. And I understand like the defense and somehow the defensive backfield is just as bad as it was last year. Who thought that that was possible, but I don't know if the decision makers are in place right now with Mike Zimmer and Gary Kubiak 
I wouldn't term either one forward thinking. I would not term either one as self-evaluators or self-scatters, Pat, where they could fix this and turn it 180 degrees and start heading in the opposite direction. They're certain they are smart enough, but I agree that's not really been their MO. Gary Kubek, though, it's extra frustrating because he wasn't like Mr. Play Action with the Texans, but he was very, I thought a coach was always very good at picking spots at play action with the Texans. So don't know why we haven't seen more of it. And it's too, I think the really troublesome development from week three was so Justin Jefferson, you know, showed them, hey, I can hear, I'm here, I can make these big plays for the offense. But then Dalvin Cook also exploded, had his 180 mm. yard game. And so they're probably just like, oh, you know, Dalvin, we got him going last week. Uh, just got to triple down on that. And uh, yeah, that, I'm afraid they're going to have the wrong takeaway from week three. Cousins' completion percentage is actually seven points worse off play action than it is just a regular standard drop back. Oh so something's in the water <laughs> up there. Uh, all right, Denny, your turn with the Atlanta Falcons. Ugh. I mean, you know, if not for two of the most epic meltdowns ever <laughs> truly they, ever. yeah i mean i mean stuff that you you cannot believe as you're watching it um and, you know then uh they would we wouldn't be talking about them at all they'd be okay they're two and one team they're fine you know they're, they're, they're gonna be <laughs> they're gonna yeah they're gonna go nine and seven make the playoffs lose in the first round whatever they whatever they usually do uh but i mean this is a, a team with a ton ton of uh great offensive weapons i mean is there a, a, a well there might be one or maybe two better trios with a healthy Julio, a healthy Ridley, uh, and a, and a healthy Russell Gage who has been, you know, kind of a, a nice surprise He's been legit uh, this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, constantly getting open, uh, you know, teams are obviously not going to focus uh, defenses are not going to focus on, on stopping Russell Gage. They're going to be all over Ridley and, and Julio when he's, when he's out there with two healthy hamstrings. Uh, so, you know, I, it, it seems like, and, and Hurst, you know, Hayden Hurst is a, a, another great pass catching weapon in that offense. Um, you know, they, they are putting up uh, a lot of points, enough points to win. Some would say, uh, and, and they, their, their defense just implodes uh, late in games. So I, you know, I, beyond that, uh, beyond just, just uh, like that culture of, of just choking on your towel late in the game. Um, I don't know why I said towel. I just <laughs> pictured, uh, I picture someone actually. on the sideline with, um, so, you know, besides that, I, I actually think that they, they could be fine if they can overcome the mental hurdles that come with that, with that kind of meltdown. I, I don't know if any team really can uh, yeah. uh, uh, do that, but if they can, they have the personnel to be fine. Here's one positive, one, one negative. The positive, Calvin Ridley before our eyes, I think is turning yeah. into Stefan Dix. Yeah, right. I mean, someone who was perceived to, you know, be connected to a wide receiver one or not quite have those number one wide receiver traits, and he's absolutely performing like one. It is unbelievable what he has been doing. But the other part of that is you mentioned Julio Jones and you mentioned Russell Gage. Both were basically out for week three, and yet Hayden Hurst can't get targeted. Hayden Hurst is not being involved in this offense. And I look through because Hayden Hurst is actually in my bus column this week, which you can go check out on the site. Um, through three games last year, Austin Hooper had 22 targets. Hayden Hurst has 16 so far. And actually his routes per drop back has dropped mm-hmm. each and every week. And so I really? stepped back and I wondered why. And, Pat, I think it's because there are offensive line questions here. You know, Jake Matthews at left tackle has been hobbled. Caleb McGarry was out. And so are they having to keep Hayden Hurst in to block more often, 
I mean, that, that's just an, an isolated individual, but we all thought that, hey, if Austin Hooper could do this, you know, Hayden Hurst could do this as well. But then last week, three targets, one catch, one yard, and one touchdown. Yeah, and in a, nar- in a narrow skill set, a narrow funnel offense, I thought he'd be having much more opportunity than he is. Yeah, it was a touching tribute to Mike Evans from Hayden Hurst. Uh, nice. Just one catch, one touchdown. My only thought for the Falcons, I mean, it's going to be a jokey thought, but I mean, Truly, especially considering Dan Quinn was very much should have been fired after last season, I think probably most people believe. And if you're not going to fire Dan Quinn after what has happened in the past two weeks, like why does the concept of like firing even exist? Like truly, like how, like again, Danny, especially we don't want anyone losing their jobs, you know, in this economy, in this especially, economy. but yeah. like, uh, I mean, if you're not going to fire the coach after those two games, uh, who the coach who already allowed to fire every coordinator that he ever had, including a special True. teams coordinator. Yeah. I uh, just, I don't know what would prompt uh, the Falcons to make a change. In this yeah. Because I feel like maybe they need to make a change. What are you waiting for? Like, are you waiting for the third 20 point comeback <laughs> in the fourth quarter? Is that, is that, is that the thing that you just can't tolerate? You can, you can, you can do two. Two's good. One's, one's actually fine. One's good. Yeah, one, uh, but, one but, like we like, we accept one, we welcome one. Right, it's we, it, we, yeah, it builds character, right? That. <laughs> yeah, we always expected one. Two is a little much. Three is too much, you know. So <laughs> maybe, maybe we have to have that. I really don't understand how he has a job. Yeah, yeah, and, and good luck with the Packers this weekend. Right. Good luck with that one. All right, Denver Broncos time for Josh Norris. Nothing is going right with this team. Like no. nothing <laughs> is going right with this team. Heading into the season, there was some buzz around the Broncos because. You know, they added pieces at like spicy positions, right? Like we got KJ Hamler, we got Jerry Judy, we got Albert O even. Heck, they even yeah. signed Melvin Gordon on a on a significant contract. Well, a player like Melvin Gordon is completely wasted on a team that has no positive game script, right? So it's a pointless addition. And then you just go back to what has happened so far. Like once the season began, you had the right tackle opt out. Then you had Von Miller get hurt. The new center has been an absolute train wreck. Your your true number one wide receiver is out for the year. The quarterback who only played in like four or five games, it felt like, had the GM completely stand behind him and put all of his eggs in the basket, and he did not play well, and then he got injured. And then you have Jarrell Casey, who's kind of been anchor for your team so far, be out for the remainder of the year, or at least go on IR. And now you go from Jeff Driscoll to then switching over to Brett Rippon. Like nothing is going well for this team. And I don't see how it fixes itself once again, as we continue on the Broncos are, are bad. Pat. They're bad. And it's time for a chance. I mean, John Elway has been kind of a favorite punching bag for like people like kind of like analytics minded, kind of just kind of everyone mm-hmm. in general. Like, I mean, he had, it wasn't just Peyton Manning. The first two or three years, John Elway was GM. He made one good move after another. Amazing day three picks, amazing free agent signings like Emmanuel Sanders. He found gems as undrafted free agents. And like he had a legitimately great run as a general manager, but it's just not working. And he, they got so much credit because he did another great thing this offseason where he actually tried to set his young quarterback up to succeed. Which you know we see what the disastrous results when you don't do that with like the New York Jets right now. So they got credit for that. They deserve credit for that. But the probably just wasn't the right young quarterback, unfortunately. And and Drew Locke. I mean, it's too early to throw in the towel, obviously. But he didn't look good the one and a half games. We already had serious questions and this feeling like a team that needs a reset. And he is a Hall of Fame player for the Denver Broncos. He belongs in the Denver Broncos Hall of Fame as an executive. 
but it just seems like it's one of those moments that they, they need to make a change. Pat, I know the issue. He stopped listening to this podcast. I was going to say, I really hope he's not still listening to the podcast uh, because got mad respect from Mr. Elway. Denny, uh, there, there is a legend. Yeah. Um, there was one day I was randomly seated at my desk at NBC Sports. And, you know, you have your notifications pop up on, on Twitter. Uh-huh. John Elway randomly retweeted this podcast, like just out of nowhere. It must have been two or three years ago, Pat. Was, like, yeah. it, it made no sense. It has since disappeared, but I, I, I think along with that, his positive selections and decisions have also withered away, Denny. So. That, yeah, right. I mean, he just had to keep logging on and, and, and listening. <laughs> Didn't stay I, logged on long enough. I mean, I, yeah, I can't imagine uh, if Elway was actually on fantasy Twitter for any amount of time. He probably saw his name mentioned in, in yeah. that not very, uh, you know, kind tweets, kind posts about the way that he manages his team. And yeah, Pat's right. I mean, uh, analytics Twitter is uh, totally triggered by John Elway and uh, <laughs> and the way he he runs things. Um, thankfully, uh, Rippin is here to save the day. And oh he's my gonna, god! Listen, I wasn't going to say this, but <laughs> you can plug it. It's not a rotor. You can plug the podcast. He, he no, no, no. It's not a pod. I've done, I've done a deep dive on this Jets Broncos game coming up, and let me tell you something. Uh, the ripping kid might have a big game. That's all. It, like you know, he completed eight of nine. They put him in there because he has a quick release. And get this, guys, he was out there. I was watching it because I'm grinding film. <laughs> that he, he's out there and he's changing uh, uh, plays at the line and he's changing wow. blocking schemes. Imagine that. I've never seen that from a third stringer <laughs> just put in. I mean, the, the Jaguars had played Bortles for like five years and he was not allowed to do that. <laughs> You know, and and so ripping. Derek Goff's still not allowed to do that. No, no, Goff doesn't do anything at the line. So, uh, so Rippin comes in and he's telling you know he's identifying blitzers and 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 helping you know pick them up that that quick release. I'm just saying, you know, just remember I said this. How how dare you check it out? How dare you? Jared Goff is a great listener at the line of scrimmage. Quickly, what's crazy is. Their left tackle in Garrett Bowles, who's just been a penalty machine through his first few years in the NFL, is actually playing quite extraordinary through a few games. I'm going to interrupt you. It's because they stopped calling penalties. The NFL oh, is no longer calling penalties. That, actually, <laughs> it's, it's the Garrett Bowles rule, rule in, in, in 2020. And then we all know Noah Fant. I mean, Noah Fant is just blossoming this year. Yeah. He's breaking out. It's just – it's it's sad that it is happening with this supporting cast and this quarterback play. Okay, Pat, we close it out with just the most positive of teams. <laughs> uh, the New York Jets, I'm sure that this is just going to be all rainbows and butterflies <laughs> and roses here. Yeah, I mean, I just unfortunately, I don't even have anything funny to say because what can you say? It's just a perfect storm disaster. It's a bottom three roster, a bottom three coaching situation, maybe bottom one on both fronts. And, you know, they've successfully Sam Bradford and Sam Darnold, where they've just destroyed their rookie quarterback's development with, you know, one coordinator after another, no weapons, bad offensive line. They finally got left tackle solved. I mean, the, the offensive line has been kind of a rare bright spot this year, but. It doesn't matter how much time you have if you're throwing to Braxton Berrios and Chris Hogan and and just you know yet another and this is happening Sam Darnold who you've just set up you've just set up to die I mean the the most important investment you can make in sports is a first round quarterback and you set him up to die as your old number one receiver Robbie Anderson is the number two receiver on a you know not a, a great quarterback offense and he already has 200 yard games in three games and. Why is yet another player going out and instantly getting better the second throw away from Adam Gase? And 
I mean, this is just there's just there's nothing more that needs to be said. It's Adam Gase. It was very dubious he got this second chance. Uh, he doesn't deserve it clearly, and just another team they're just going to gut it yet again and move on in the off season. And a very dispiriting, very very dismal New York Jets team. As as much as football can be tragic, this is tragic. You know, yes. the, it, they they just have nobody personnel wise. They have nobody, and uh, you know, unfortunately, they've done this to Sam Darnold, and I think Darnold was had a lot of potential to be really good. And, you know, I, I think of everything as from a fantasy standpoint, obviously. So I, I thought that he would develop into a fun kind of risk-taking uh, fantasy quarterback. Um, that's just not th- – that dream is dead, for, for now at least. Um, you, you hope that, you know, he gets a, a shot on a legit team at some point, probably not the Jets, uh, because they're going to have to just scrap this whole thing. Uh, and, but uh, it's yeah, it's been it's been really sad to watch. I think Thursday night could be really even yeah. more sad for Sam Darnold, honestly. For you two educated people, isn't there the Greek theater of you know tragedy on one side, but comedy on the other? I I'm cool to think of this as comedy. I mean, it is high comedy. Just how there are losing organizations, and how every single time Adam Gase makes a comment during pressers each week or after the game Mm -hmm. that make you wonder how this guy could be in charge of have like one of 32 jobs in the NFL and then not just be fired after one season and continues just to drive this team into the ground. Like I was thinking about this earlier while walking the dog, like heading into last year, I actually think I had a lower perception of the Miami Dolphins talent in that roster than I do of this Jets team. Like, I think this Jets team is more talented than that Dolphins team. Yet, what we saw with Brian Flores, what we saw what he was able to do and, and you know, at least try to get something out of this, that talent and um, progress it and, and improve it. I don't know a single player that Adam Gase in his tenure with the Jets, and even before then, has ever improved. And that is a major red flag and detriment to any team that wants us add him as their head coach. And that's exactly what the Jets have done because they're a poorly run organization from top to bottom. Peyton Manning, he was a nobody until he played with that. <laughs> by the way. Uh, but yeah, the Jets speaking of the Greek, I mean, they got pathos for days. Is that how you pronounce that word? By the way, I've always see it written. Uh, I say pathos, but I say pathos. pathos. They got pathos for days. Uh, lots and lots of pathos with the New York Jets is all I'll say. Uh, Look it up, folks. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, a very pitiable. But yet, Thursday is going to be extremely funny. I mean, losing to Brett Rippon in prime time is going to be hilarious. We have to admit it. So, Josh is also right. Um, this was wonderful, guys. I know we went a bit longer than we do on these Wednesday pods, but I think this is a, a nice little format. I'll you know convene with you afterwards to see if you agree with that. But one person's opinion, it was quite good. Okay, go out and read Denny Carter's. Target to coder column. Go out. And it's four read. for four column on Brett Rippon. There you go. <laughs> There's less of a time frame on that one. Uh, and also, my bust article is up on the site, just five busts for the week, and it's headlined by Cam Newton. Might want to check that one out. That's not. That's definitely not going to come back to bite with Josh Pateos <laughs> and Bill Belichick making someone look foolish. Uh, and then we'll also be back again later on this week for the game-by-game preview show. Always love doing that. And Rotor Live Sunday noon Eastern served by Applebee's that's on Periscope. That's on YouTube. That's on Twitch. 
all the great platforms out there. Thank you so much for sticking with us in this episode. So for Denny, for Pat, I'm Josh Updevella. Talk to you soon. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.